Mark Speed, I'm lead pastor here at Antioch. I just want to personally welcome you, and our heartbeat is to really walk with Jesus daily because he loved us first. He gave his life for us. We want to walk with him in a real authentic relationship. We want to, have, uh, we want to walk in community with, with other people to encourage us along the way and not do it alone. And we want to go give out that love of Jesus wherever we go. <clears throat> um, so that's our heartbeat. In fact, we're going to be <clears throat> talking more about that today. Um, we are starting a new sermon series today that I am really excited about. We're calling it Be One, Make One. It's about being a disciple of Jesus and that we are called to make disciples of Jesus. So uh, I'm actually really excited for this series. I've been praying to do it for a while and I really feel like God wants to deposit some things into the DNA and heartbeat of our church uh, here in the next coming weeks as we are in this series. Anyone have a good time in the worship series we just had? Come on. I think we got more free, more worshiping. That's our heartbeat as well, that we, we want to worship with our whole heart. So look forward to continuing to carry that as a part of who we are. All right, well, hey, as I start, uh, as I start this sermon and this new series, uh, just want to some of you guys have heard pieces of my story before, but I think it just gives some context to where we're going. You know, so when I got saved, I was—I uh, got saved in high school. I was living kind of a crazy life. Was um, trying to live a double life, where I was like, you know, this uh, student government leader and sports leader, but I was also like selling stuff illegally on the side and uh, getting arrested a number of times and just really partying hard and getting in fights all the time and just kind of living a crazy life. And then when I was, when I was 16, I uh, saw one of my good friends die uh, in front of my eyes in a car accident. It just kind of really sent me spiraling to a place of really uh, where I was contemplating committing suicide and beginning to make a plan. And it was there that night that um, I opened up a Bible and I said, God, if you're real, there's got to be more than what I've seen. If you're real, you got to be in control. <laughs> Surely you're good and you must have some type of redemption plan. I began to read just in the middle. I didn't know anything about the Bible. It's Proverbs. And right there, uh, it left off the pages to me that God uh, was a God of righteousness and it talked about the righteous and the wicked. It became so clear that I was uh, on the wicked side of things. I'd lived for myself and like all of us, us. I had I had sinned and fallen short of, of a God who is both loving but also perfect. And at the same time, every little bit I heard about the cross of Jesus, all of a sudden, just by the Spirit of God, began to make sense to me. That I could be completely sinful uh, over here, and yet God would love me and forgive me because of the work on the cross. He took my sin on the cross to forgive me and, and make me new and reconcile me back to him. And there that night, just in tears, I, I gave my life to Jesus. I didn't know a prayer to pray or anything like that. If I didn't even know you could have a relationship with Jesus. I just knew I needed a Savior, and I knew that this was his word to me. <clears throat> so uh, that day, I began to pick it up. Literally, sometimes I read uh, for you know, a little bit here and there. Sometimes I read for hours. I was a little all over the place, but I just knew this was God's word to me. And so <clears throat> I, didn't, I didn't know there were other people following Jesus, <laughs> literally. So I would pick up the Bible, and I just kind of started in the Gospels. I think I Googled something. The Internet was, like, just coming about uh, more, more uh, in a popular way. So I kind of started in the Gospel. I think I figured that out. You know, I think I was, like, the Gospel of John or, I think, the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> and 
All of a sudden, within a few weeks, I'm like, man, this is, I'm forgiving people who had wronged and who had wronged me, and I'm like reconciling with people. I'm like getting rid of all this stuff in my life that would be before God. I remember having a hard phone call with my girlfriend who was in a college at Montana State University, like, hey, like I'm following Jesus now, like I He's got to be number one. Like, do you want to do this with me? No, you know. Uh, just kind of thing after thing in my life where, uh, man, I'm reading Scripture, and it's just calling me to radically make changes to my life, and I wanted to because there's the grace of God, right? And so this was my lifeline, man. I was in here doing whatever it said. And then one of my friends from high school invited me to a Bible study. Never been to a Bible study before. Never uh, didn't know what to expect or what that was like. I walk in. First, I was a little confused because no one had their Bibles. I was like, I thought this was a Bible study. Is this like a, uh, a social event? I don't know. And then uh, we get in there, and about three-fourths of the people are not engaged. Everyone's flirting with each other. I'm like, you know, it's, it's fine. It may be fine. Someone here, that's cool. But I was just confused. Like, people weren't excited. I was there. It, I, people kind of knew me as this wild guy, and there was some rumblings that, like, I got saved or something. But when I walked in, like, you know, I was like, oh, this is like my new team, right? And I walk in, and, like, people weren't even excited I was in the team. People were kind of like, oh, what to do with this guy, you know? Uh, I, I, honestly, I was just super confused. You know, I'm like a few months in my life. I was just radically trying to do whatever they said because I, I literally didn't think there was an option. I was like, this is, I'm his now. I do what he says. I'm on his team. He's my captain uh, and my savior. I do what he says. So I was just really confused, right, going uh, going to this Bible study. It was like, man, we're on totally different pages, and y'all are on totally different pages than each other. Basically, think of this thing called a little DTR. Anyone know what a DTR is? For those of you guys who don't know, it means define the relationship, right? It's that moment where maybe, uh, you know, as a single, you are in a connection with someone else, and at least one of you feels some type of chemistry. Now, some of you will let that go for a year or more, right? So you're trying to figure it out, right? And some of you are floating. There comes a moment when you need to define that relationship. Is this a thing? Are we a thing? Are you feeling what I'm feeling? We need to kind of define this. Let's put a term to this. Let's put some words to this. Are we going somewhere? Or do we just like, you know, just hanging out and being really emotionally connected without any commitment to one another? What is going on here? Or maybe, whoa, I thought this was mutual, but it's not. You're just a friend. Okay, right? We've all maybe had, at least many of us had, those kind of awkward details. I know I was the clueless guy for a while going along like, yeah, they're totally just my friend, whatever. And I was like, oh, man, I can, I'm hurting people, whatever. So a DTR, what a DTR, if you don't have clarity on what that relationship is, there's a lot of confusion and awkward moments and guardedness and like just, just funny things that I'd like to relive when I get to heaven. Like, what were we thinking there, Right. But when you have clarity, you know how to move forward in a relationship. When you have clarity, you know where we're at, where we're headed, or at least maybe the next possible step along the way. Right? It takes people from being on numerous different pages to being on the same page. It cuts out confusion. Now, I think when I look at the, the larger church or the believers, I think there's a lot of confusion. 
I think we have different ideas of what it means to follow Jesus. I think we have different ideas of what it means to be a believer. And I think that confusion keeps us back from not only experiencing the abundant life that God has for us. I think it keeps us back from being the people of impact God has for us. It keeps us back from really authentic, life-changing community. And honestly, just leaves a lot of us confused and disappointed with God and disappointed with church at times. And I think some clarity around what does it mean to follow Jesus provides a pathway to not only life, but a pathway into all that God has for us. I want to look at scripture today as we go into this discipleship series to uh, help bring clarity. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 22. If you don't, we got some guys carrying Bibles down. Put your hand up. We'd love to put one in your hand. We love Scripture. We believe it is the Word of God, and God wants to speak to us every time we open it. Now, as you turn into Matthew chapter 4, by the way, it's the first book in the New Testament, so just a page or two in there, you'll probably see Matthew chapter 4. What's happening here is that Jesus is, you know, God came to earth, Jesus is on the earth, and what he's doing is he's, he's beginning to call his first followers to him. Okay, so you see that in Matthew chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Okay, so you see here in this, this passage where Jesus is is sees these guys, he actually has probably seen them, scholars would say, they actually had probably known each other a little bit, seen each other before, and he says to them this time around, now that he's seen them, hey, why don't you follow me? And uh, that's, the, that's the kind of phrase we see again and again in the Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it's the, it's the testimony of Jesus walking the earth. Uh, in the Gospels, the call again and again and again is follow me. Follow me. And I think for some context, it's important that we understand that Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, right? I think we kind of forget that in our American mindset. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi and teacher. In fact, around 60 of the 90 times that people are talking to Jesus, they're calling him rabbi. And what rabbis would have, they would have these followers called disciples, Um, and, and that's what Jesus is implying, and that the, this passage is implying when it says, follow me, Jesus is basically inviting them to be his disciples. Now, this wasn't something that started with Jesus. Many Jewish rabbis had disciples, uh, upwards of, you know, 50, 60, 70, or sometimes they'd have just a few disciples, but then they'd have many people that would follow them wherever they would go. These rabbis would have a following of people who were doing life with them and learning their teachings and learning to become like them in the ways of God, who would eventually be released, some of them, as 
rabbis. And this actually wasn't just a Jewish thing. This was actually a normal, customary part of the first century world. As part of Roman culture, you see it if someone's going to become a blacksmith or during, uh, ex- uh, experience kind of a trade, they would kind of become a disciple, almost an apprentice of something. Uh, and again, this was a customary part of how people learn a craft or a trade at the time. I think this is really crucial as we understand when we're saying I'm a follower of Jesus, this is crucial to have and understand this context of what they, what Jesus meant and what they understood at that time. So let me just kind of give you a quick overview just, just for a minute on <clears throat> what it meant to become a rabbi or be a follower uh, of, of, um, of a rabbi. So the first, um, the first, uh, sorry, the first level, uh, what they called Beit Sefer. So it was a common kind of way all Jewish kids would, would go through this level of training or education. They would kind of learn these, these um, lessons and education system based off Scripture. And by the time they're about 12 or something, they would basically memorize most of the Torah, or the, which is the first five books of the Bible. <laughs> Right, so they're kind of this, this focused way. And so when they hit about 12, uh, oftentimes between 12 and 15, uh, they would get married. And so ladies would have their first baby. Not quite sure what I think about that yet. Uh, and a lot of times at that point, after that first level, the, the boys would kind of step into their father's trade and kind of become an apprentice under their father's trade. And a few select from that group of the boys would get invited to this next level called Beit Talmud. Uh, it was kind of from 12 to 15. There was a full-time paid teacher, and they would memorize almost the entire Old Testament, which is most of the Bible you're holding. They would memorize that between 12 and 15. It's a very focused uh, training for a select few. Now, the select of the select would go to the third level, which is Talmudim, which is actually the word used for disciple many times. And this was kind of the process of becoming a rabbi. There'd be intense interviews, theologically, practically, some really intense interviews. And then if, if they were kind of the, the blessed few after that interview process, they would be invited to be an apprentice or uh, um, a kind of a disciple. And they would basically then come and do life with their... Um, Come and do life with their rabbi 24-7, be with them, eat with them, see how they do life, and they would start, start to become like them. They would see every mannerism, and the goal was to kind of learn to become a carbon copy of them. And of course, the goal was not just for them to be a student forever. The goal was for them, to some of them, to become rabbis down the road. Again, this is important when we understand the term disciple. What does that mean? Just kind of a definition. We say, man, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Jesus came to make disciples. What is a follower of Jesus or a disciple? If I can get that definition up here on the screen. Um, The idea here is a student or a follower or an apprentice, right? So a student. If I'm a disciple of Jesus, I'm a student of Jesus. And that may not be just kind of what... You know, we talk about when you're a Cal State Fullerton or Biola student. I'm here for a few years and kind of in a classroom setting. You know, it was, it was doing life 
with the teacher. It was doing life together. Um, it was to become a follower would be another term. And I think when we think follower, we think social media or whatever. But no, it's really following in the way of someone. So maybe one of the best terms to describe what disciple is, is this idea of apprenticeship that I described earlier. We are, when we say we're a disciple of Jesus, we are an apprentice in the way and the person of Jesus and following him. So what does that look like today? What does this mean today? I mean, Jesus isn't here in bodily form anymore. It probably raises questions. What does that mean in a busy world? Some of you are teachers. Some of you are, uh, you know, doctors. Some of you are students. Some of you uh, are figuring that all out right now. What does this mean for us today in the 21st century? It means that we organize our lives around the same goals of Jesus and becoming an apprentice or disciple of Jesus. And so just a few main kind of things that apprenticeship meant then and it meant now, and there's a great teacher in this, a guy named John Mark Comer. Uh, a few simple things, being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing the things he did. Three simple things, being with Jesus, being an apprentice or a disciple of Jesus means first that we are to have a life that we are being with Jesus. Verse 18, um, the first call was to follow Jesus. He said, follow me. He didn't say, hey, come and get an education. He didn't say, hey, come and I'll train you in this way first. He first said, come and follow me. So what is a disciple? A disciple is with Jesus. I love that Mark uh, chapter 3, verse 14, uh, when Jesus called his disciples there, he said this, Mark chapter 3, verse 14, if I get that slide up there. Jesus said this, he called them, uh, sorry, it says this, Mark chapter 3, verse 14, it says, um, well, now I'm in the wrong book. Y'all got that bet there? Thank you. Here we go. Mark chapter 3, he appointed the 12, who he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. I love the first call there. <clears throat> he appointed the 12. He called them to himself. So what? That they might be with him. Do you know God's desire is to be with you? So we talked about in this last series that everything you do for God will come from the overflow of your connection with God. Christianity 101, according to being a disciple, which, by the way, there were 12 apostolic disciples, but there were many disciples of Jesus, men and women. Christianity 101, or, or being a disciple or follower of Jesus 101, is to intimately know God. That's not something for the select few. It is the way of Jesus. It is 101, being a follower of Jesus. It's to intimately know God. Not to just kind of see him here or there or get a nice little pick-me-up for a minute twice a week or on Sundays. To intimately know 
God. And that looks like in a busy world, learning to abide with him. When our phone is, is pulling us, right, and our emails are pulling us and everywhere, what does that look like in 21st century? It, learn, it means learning to be with him in the ebbs and flows of life. It means putting him before us at all times. It means learning to pull away and be with him. And that's why we talk about spending time with Jesus again and again and again. It means uh, learning the scripture and saying, God, I want to know you, so I want to open this book, and I want to find you in here, and I want to follow and, and apply what you say and find you in here. It means learning to be people of the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus is alive, and he's on his throne, but how is he here with us? By the person of the Holy Spirit. We talked about that in this last series. We want to be people that are led by and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. It learns, it means learning to be silent and have solitude at times, which is very countercultural. But to have our souls alive in Him means being with Him just as the disciples, just as uh, you know, an apprentice is with the one who is apprenticing them, being with Him. Secondly, that means becoming like Jesus. What does it mean to be a disciple or an apprentice, if you will, of Jesus in the 21st century? It means just like it did then, becoming like him. Just as an apprentice saw every move and action of their uh, one apprentice in them, uh, the goal is to become like our rabbi, Jesus, to become like the one who is leading us. So we are, for better or for worse, products of our environments, right? I mean, just look around. What kind of car do you drive? What kind of clothes do you wear? I could probably maybe guess some of where you might even be from based off, you know, how you kind of vibe or how you go, you know. I'm from the Midwest. I can kind of pick out a Midwesterner every once in a while. Like, when I go to Minnesota, it's like, I go to the Minnesota Twins game, it's like dudes in cargo shorts. It's like, Man, that, just, that trend is just keeping on, keeping on in the Midwest, a little slower, you know? <clears throat> We're a product of our environments for better or for worse. If you ever want to figure that out, get married, and it's a great way to, to pick that up quickly, right? When we come into his kingdom, though, right, when we get saved, we become a new creation, but we're stepping into a different kingdom, a different way of doing life. And so all of a sudden, the way that we were raised or the values we learned start to come into clash with a new way of life that we're learning. And to become moments of difficulty or awkwardness, sometimes pain surfaces from our past were hurt or felt misunderstood or, or whatever. And what God wants to do is he wants to come in and make us through this process of making us more and more like him. We're already, when we get saved, the Bible says, a new creation. But there's a learning to walk like that. There's a learning to step into, uh, into who we already are. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says this, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this, <clears throat> for this comes from the Lord who is spirit. To be a disciple of Jesus means that we become like him, and that means freedom on the inside. It means restoration. It means, as this verse says and says in different points throughout Scripture, it means transformation. 
We don't just try and do our best to become like him. He changes us from the inside out. And what that looks like is learning to repent, learning to forgive other people. That's what followers of Jesus do. We don't hold bitterness. We don't hold, we get real about it. It might be a process to get there, right? So we, we forgive, we repent, we learn to deal with our past. We learn our identity in Christ and the character of God. We learn how to go in deeper fellowship with the Lord. Sometimes that might even mean seeing a counselor or talking to someone or having healing prayer. And most of the time that's just walking with Jesus in a community of other people, working that out together. And thirdly, what does it mean to be a disciple and follower of Jesus? We, we do the things he did. Right, so think about it for a second. A disciple or an apprentice, right? his promise was that they would become fishers of men. His promise would be that they would do the things that Jesus was doing. And that wasn't just contextually some kind of cute pun like, you were fishers, I'm going to make you fishers of men. That was actually kind of a, an, an understood thing, kind of a phrase used then that would mean like a great teacher. And so Jesus was saying, hey, come follow me, and you're going to do the things that I'm doing. If you think about it with an apprentice or in a student, right, we define that word disciples, a student, a follower, apprentice. Your goal, if you go to school, is not to become a super, super, super senior, right? Now, maybe some of us, because of circumstance of life, or we're working, and we stretch that thing out, but your goal is not to be like, the guy on campus who's like way older than everyone else who's been there. Now, if you go back to school and you're old, that's awesome, good for you. But I'm talking about the person you came in when you're 18 and you're 30 and you're still there, right? And you're like, everyone knows me, you know, I'm the guy, you know, whatever. <laughs> like I said, if you're coming back to school, good for you, that's awesome. But your goal is not to be in school forever, right? Your goal is to be released out to do the thing. When you apprentice or you're an intern or you're a resident somewhere, your goal is to go do the stuff, right? Listen, the goal of being a follower of Jesus or being a Christian is not after 20 years of following the Lord to just sit and show up and receive. You're like, oh, that was good. That wasn't good. Other people are going to serve me, right? The goal is to do the things of Jesus, the goal is to go in a life of learning to follow him and learning to be others-oriented, learning to bring the kingdom of God and learning to preach the good news and learning to be able to impart what you're learning here to other people and learning to, to pray for the sick and to be led by the Spirit so that you can walk in the power of God Monday through Friday out there. But so often we, we get stuck as a man, I will just be, uh, you know, in school forever. And, of course, we're always a student of Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. But the goal is to be released out to do the things that Jesus did over time as we kind of be with him and walk with him, become like him. We get released out. And this, an intimate walk with God being transformed into his image and doing the stuff that Jesus did. This is the abundant life that I believe Jesus talked about in John 10.10. 10. And I believe all are called to it. I love in the Gospels, Jesus said, if anyone 
wants to follow me, right? If anyone wants to be my disciple, there's an invitation, I believe, for all people, men and women, come as you are to become a disciple or a follower of Jesus and step into the abundant life of intimately knowing God and being transformed and set free and and doing the things that he did. That, That is exciting. But so often I believe we've settled for kind of this pseudo-Christian idea of what being a follower of Jesus is. Kind of this, this, this pseudo-Christian American idea where it's kind of like, man, we come, we watch a few people kind of like rock it, you know, and we're like, man, that kind of met my felt need, but then we like get in a place for decades, like always needing to be encouraged and like reminded to show up places and like, remember, you're a Christian, remember, remember, listen, I need reminders too, right? But then it's like, man, a little dip of encouragement with God here and there, and we're wondering why, man, why does God move through those people and not through me, right? Jesus didn't say, hey, come be a Christian, although I think that's multifaceted, He said, come be my disciples, right? Christian is used three times in the New Testament. Disciple is used, I think, 268 times in the New Testament, something like that. There's an invitation to be a follower of Jesus. And um, I think uh, I heard this analogy kind of captured it so well. Uh, This movie, Madagascar, right? And so there's these zoo animals, you know, and they're kind of been in the zoo, coddled, you know, taken care of, fed at all times. And then they get shipwrecked back in Africa in, in, in the island of Madagascar. And they're like, don't know how to live in the wild because all they know is the zoo. Listen, they're lions and zebras. They're made for this, but they have no idea how to live it. And it's kind of like, man, you're a lion, man. You're made to rule. You're made to roar. You're made to have power. And so often, we've just kind of been coddled and, like, wanted everything to be comfortable for us and convenient for us and at the right place at the right time and the perfect word for me so that when we get out there Monday through Friday and it's time for you to roar because you have the spirit of God in you and you're the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead in you. You have a calling on your life and you're a child of God. We're like, I don't know. I've kind of been catered to my whole life. I don't know, can I take a risk? I just need to be encouraged right now, right? Listen, I love, we're going to encourage you in this church, right? We're all about that. But I I think that's a a picture sometimes of what we've settled for, right? Like what I expect when I walk in that small group, that Bible study back to the beginning of my sermon, I kind of thought I was like two months old as a believer. I was like, hey, we're going to get in here. People are going to be pumped because, like, God is changing my life. They're like, hey, welcome to the team. Yeah, you know. Then I was like, we're going to open our Bibles. We're going to learn about God. And people are going to, like, be excited about that. And we're going to pray for each other because we're all, like, in process, right? Then at the end, we're going to, like, kind of be like, okay, we're in high school. Like, you take this group and bring them Jesus. You take this group, bring them Jesus. You take the football team, bring them Jesus. You take the band people, bring them Jesus. Ready? Let's pray, break, go, see you next week. That's what I thought it would be like, right? Because that's what we're made for. We're made to bring a kingdom to earth. We're made to bring the goodness of God. We're made to be people that walk with him and from the overflow of that bring that life wherever we go. 
guy named Kyle Eidelman, a pastor in Kentucky, coined this phrase, fans versus followers. I think so often we have become fans of Jesus. Fans cheer from afar when it's going well for them. You know, when it's convenient, they're like, hey, this is good. This is awesome. I'm on board with this. When the season doesn't go well, right, uh, it's like, I don't know. I'm going to just kind of move on with my life. Fans watch from the stands. They watch from afar. Followers get obsessed. They, you know, they get all the signings. They, they get into it. They get their jersey sign, the ball sign, all that, right? And they, uh, sometimes they, they learn to step on the field themselves. And, uh, you know, I think we, we learn to be fans of Jesus, but Jesus isn't looking for fans. He's looking for followers. He's looking for apprentices. He's looking for disciples, and that is the invitation again and again through Scripture, and I believe that is the life worth living and what this world needs. I love this quote by a guy named Dallas Willard. He said, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who identify as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the way, the life of the kingdom of the heavens in every corner of human existence. And that's our goal as a church is that uh, on Sundays throughout the week, beyond our goal is not just run programs, but to make disciples, to help you in your messy process and my messy process walk with Jesus and take steps forward uh, time and time again in this process of learning to follow Jesus uh, along the way. And just a couple implications of what this means to be an apprentice or, to, or a disciple. A couple implications to kind of this, this, this paradigm-changing reality that I think is, is biblical. Number one, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us something. In verse 20 of our passage, it says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. It goes on to say that they even left their father and left the boat and followed him. I don't think that all of, that means that all of us need to leave our jobs tomorrow, like leave our families. For God, for some of us, maybe God is leading you that way, and that's what you need to do. But I think the idea is that the way of life and the comforts and, and our preferences and the way we do things and the way we learn how to control our worlds, we lay that aside and say, God, I'm following you. I'm going to lay this up and say, God, I'm going to learn to put my faith in you, not in a job, not in a person, not in a thing, but I'm going to put my faith in God. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus said it like this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The idea there is just as Jesus went to his cross and and took up willingly his own death that others may have life, Jesus is implying that to be a disciple of Jesus means that eventually you're going to learn to willingly take up your own death in areas of your life so that you may have more of him and bring his life to them. There's a cost to following Jesus. Salvation is free. But following Jesus and experiencing that abundant life and walking into all that salvation has for us will cost us everything. We often want the abundant life of Jesus without taking up the cross of Jesus. And we wonder why. We wonder, man, I said it would be every, you know, 
They said my life would be blessed and everything would go well when I follow Jesus. And all of a sudden, we have a trial or someone asks you to like care for someone else or serve or we're disappointed. It doesn't go away. And we're, we get confused because we don't realize we stepped into a new way of life when we said yes to Jesus. See, I think so often we think following Jesus means Jesus following me. When following Jesus means I leave my own preference and say, God, lead me. Maybe that's how I want it to go is exactly how it will lead me. Maybe it's not. We can't have all of him and all of his purposes and hang on to all our preferences and ideas of how that purpose is supposed to fold out. It will cost us to forgive. If you want a great relationship or a great marriage, it's going to cost you to forgive. It's going to cost you to be humble. It's going to cost you to honor other people when they didn't earn it and deserve it, but because you know they're made in the image of God. It's going to cost you to cut out time and spend time with Jesus and talk to him face to face and be in his word. It's going to cost you to have a healthy marriage or relationship. It's going to cost you to walk in his purpose at work and in your career and in your life because it means doing it differently at times than the world does it, but it's worth it. This world is fading. This world and all its comforts, its promises, its titles, its degrees, and even its relationships is fading. And we will soon cross the line to eternity. And what we do in this life will echo into eternity. And so Jesus' invitation to follow him and say, hey, live a life that makes sense in light of eternity. Live a life that brings eternity to earth in this short life and bring that love and good news everywhere you go. And that will echo for all of eternity. Matthew chapter 16, verse 25 and 26, and the next two verses off uh, what we just read. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What a profit, man, if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul. It'll cost us something to follow Jesus. I think we need to be aware of that because when trials hit, we're ready. There's a high bar. Of following Jesus. You know, it's like, how is, how is that forgiveness stuff going? How is that, like, generosity stuff going? Right? Like, like if you're like me, like, I'm in process with that. And, and, and that's the second implication. So the first implication of apprenticeship and discipleship is, is it's going to cost us something. The second and last one I want to say is it's a messy process that won't happen overnight. You don't apprentice for a day somewhere. You don't do an internship for a day somewhere. You don't like, like you're an intern, you arrive, see you, you know? It's a messy process. Matthew 4, verse 19, back to our passage. I love, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You see this process. They're not there yet. They're not what they're going to be yet, but the grace-filled hands of, of, of the potter and us as the clay, he will make them into something they're not yet. I love that picture. I'm coaching a soccer team of five- and six-year-old boys right now. It's everything you can imagine it would be and crazier. Uh, I got, uh, you know, one little dude I love. We're at our game yesterday. And uh, every game, he takes it the wrong way. And I love this guy for it. You know, it's like, like he's just like, 
It is just a disaster coaching kids. They're all over the place. He's going the wrong way. Hey, dude, take it there. And then he kicks it past the goal, and then he always just jumps on the ball like this. And then kids start kicking and fighting over the ball. Like, we're playing soccer. What are we doing right now, you know? But this is the beauty of teaching boys soccer. I don't expect them to get it the first moment, right? I mean, it is literally like the analogy is like, I'm in a room of ping pong balls, and I'm trying to catch them. Like, that's what coaching the team is like, you know? Like with my kids, when they're learning to ride bikes, and I'm like, oh, you fell. Like you blew your chance. Like I, th- I thought you'd be a bike rider, but you're not, you know. <laughs> you're not a cyclist. I thought you'd be a cyclist like your dad, you know, or whatever, but you're not. No, it's like a messy process of falling and getting hurt and like running into other people, you know. It's just like, like the soccer team. It's, it's a crazy mess, and that's how we learn. Like the disciples like, you see this, like, hey, follow me. And, and I think we want to think, like, it was awesome from that point forward. Like, boom, like, they're released, and it's, like, perfect. And they're, like, the, you know, the, the, the perfect people. It was a mess. I mean, James and John, like, some of the core of even those 12, they snuck up to Jesus, like, hey, let me sit on your right hand and on your left for eternity. Like, let me, let me sneak in and get kind of my way, you know, because I want to be the best, right? Let's just take a look at Peter, like, like the rock dude, you know, he's like, he's like the, the anchor, like number one guy, right? Let's just look at some of his failures. He doesn't at all get the parable the soils are teaching in the East. Like, like, like he is just confused, right? Most of the time the disciples walk around confused with Jesus. He argues with the other disciples on who is the greatest. He tries to keep the kids away from Jesus. Like he just doesn't like kids. And the kids ministry would be shut down in Peter's church. He rebukes Jesus. Like, the main reason Jesus came was to go to the cross. Peter, I'm going to stop you from doing what you want, Jesus, and I'm going to rebuke God. (laughs) Didn't go well. Okay, after some time with Jesus, here he is towards the end. You can imagine, I mean, Jesus knew this was going to happen. But if I were Jesus, I'd be like, dude, I've been with this guy for a while, and he's cutting off a guy's ear. Like, like, i got to hand this thing over to him, saying he's cutting off a dude's ear. He's denying Jesus in a public arena with oaths and curses. Again, this is right before Jesus handed the baton to him, right? He temporarily seems to have quit the apostolic team and takes fishing back up in John 21. Later, he pulls back from the Gentiles and Paul in fear of when the circumcision group arrive in Galatia. I mean, it is... It is a process for this dude. You know the beauty of this? After he denies Jesus, there's this beautiful restoration in John 21. You see Jesus intentionally walking. Jesus wasn't surprised when Peter said, I'll never deny you. I am the man. I will go and die for you. Jesus is like, hey, dude, let me just break it to you. You're going to deny me. No, 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 no. I am the disciple, right? Jesus is like, yeah. But like Jesus knew it was going to happen, and Jesus, I believe, already planned that restoration out. Isn't that a beautiful picture for us? I mean, these guys, they were a mess. Listen, you're going to blow it. You're going to sin. You're going to have like misses in your marriage or parenting. Like you're going to like mess up along the way. You're going to step out in faith and leading something in this church or serving somewhere or even sharing your faith with someone. It's going to be awkward. You're going to fail. You're going to fall short, right? You're going to struggle to forgive people when they hurt you. 
You're going to have down times where you're like, man, I, I don't feel like I have hope. I don't feel like I'm a Christian right now if I just look at my feelings, right? There's going to be days where you're like, I am only hanging on, you know? Maturity takes time, and it's not a linear process. What it is is a lot of small taking risks, a lot of small stepping out, a lot of missing it along the way. The mark of an authentic disciple of Jesus is getting it wrong sometimes. Now, I want to say if you're never getting it wrong, you may not be taking any risks and you might not even be a disciple. I would rather mess up trying than sit on the bench critiquing others. In the military, they say the most dangerous thing is inaction, indecisiveness. They would rather have you try something and mess up, even at a high cost, than being indecisive and not doing anything. That is the mark of a follower of Jesus. We're in process, we're messy, we fall short, but we try. We take risks. And when we don't make it, we meet the grace of God. We meet the grace of God, and we do that in a community of other people who are trying to do the same things. There's many ways that can look in our church that's predominantly in life groups. Those are communities of people following Jesus together, at times trying to follow Jesus. At times they're awkward because I'm there and you're there, right, and we're all in process. And that's the beauty of it is you don't learn with perfect people and feel like I'm a failure and they're perfect. No, you learn awkwardly together to follow Jesus, and you remind each other of the grace of God at work. And that's, again, we look to Jesus in all this. How do we know that he is leading our messy process? We look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's the one that started our story. He's the one that will finish it. He'll write every chapter in between. He knows what he's doing with your life. You might be somewhere in the middle like me, and you feel great one day, and you figure, I just completely blew it. I have no idea what's going on the next day. He's authoring your story. He's bigger than your day. He's bigger than your season. He's bigger than your failure. He knows what he is doing. Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. And if you're wondering, man, taking up my cross, denying myself seems impossible. It is apart from Jesus. We look to him who went first and took up his cross. We look to him who gave up his life for us. And as we are connected with him and reminded of the good news that he paid it all for you and me, it's in that place we receive strength and love to give to others, to take up our 